0: We hope you find these podcasts informative, and as always, we welcome your comments and suggestions. Good day and welcome to episode 185 of Momenta Digital Thread podcast series. Today, I'm pleased to host John Dyke, CEO of the Clean Energy Smart Manufacturing Innovation Institute, or SESME, a public-private partnership committed to transforming the U.S. manufacturing market and increasing global competitiveness through the application of smart manufacturing technologies and workforce development, both in manufacturing operations and in the supply chain. John is known globally as a domain expert on both technology and business management in the nexus that often separates IT from operations. For the past 10 years, he has been at the vanguard of how innovations like cloud and the industrial Internet of Things impact manufacturing, pioneering the application of these technologies, including several patents in a wide range of manufacturing industries and supply chains, and at companies such as GE and Rockwell. John was recognized by the Society of Manufacturing Engineering in 2020 as one of the 30 leaders transforming manufacturing in the USA. John serves as the past chairman of Mesa Internationals, otherwise known as Manufacturing Enterprise Solutions Association, and board of director. He holds a degree in electronics engineering from Conestoga College. John, welcome to our Digital Thread podcast.
1: Thanks, Ken. Appreciate it. It's an honor to be here with you today.
0: It's an honor to have you with us as well. Just in, I guess, back channel real quick. The reason for us getting together is I know you've got a big event next week, at least at the time we're recording this, of which one of our. Momentum team are facilitating a panel. And so the timing of this coming together is quite good. And also there's been a lot of interesting information over the last couple of weeks, given the World Economic Forum and such. And we'll get into those topics, but all to say very timely. So as you know, we call this the Digital Thread Podcast. And so we always like to start off with kind of that quintessential question, what would you consider to be your digital thread?
1: In other words, the one or more thematic threads that define your digital industry journey. Yeah, it's, it's a fascinating question, and I appreciate the chance to speak briefly to that. You mentioned that I've worked at GE and Rockwell Automation, and in both places, leading various aspects of their software business globally. And I've worked in one other organization called ActivePlant. I helped a friend of mine raise some venture capital and build a successful software startup called Active Plant. ultimately acquired. All of that has influenced me significantly and given me broad exposure to the entire ecosystem around this smart manufacturing, digital transformation, industry 4.0 set of stakeholders. The underscoring, or perhaps even the most important aspect beyond that, that has influenced my perspective is the, the opportunity for me to sit on the board of directors of an association called MESA, the Manufacturing Enterprise Solutions Association, And what was most important there was the opportunity to sit with what were broadly the main competitors in the space, the Siemens, the Rockwells, the GEs, the Emersons, the Avivas, Wonderwares, SAP, Microsoft, IBM, and a lot of small companies you've never heard of. And what I learned over the course of the 10 years I served with Mesa, and that had a huge role in shaping my perspective, and the reason for my move to Sesame four years ago Is the realization, working with those great organizations and individuals that we're all challenged significantly in building successful manufacturing software businesses, and that many of us have invested a billion or billions of dollars in this space and yet still looking for return on investment and for those investments in this space. So looking across the ecosystem and seeing the fundamental challenges and constraints that each one of us faced, thinking over the course of that decade that we would be driving consolidation in this space through acquisition, through organic software, business product development, but really understanding over the years that that wasn't happening, that this space has become more and more complex, that the challenges and selling and implementing and seeing the successful deployment of these systems prior to Industry 4.0 and certainly in the last decade via Industry 4.0, not seeing the sort of velocity of adoption that we all anticipated, not seeing the space consolidate the way we anticipated. And so when I had the opportunity while I was at Rockwell to consider leading this organization funded by the federal government to drive smart manufacturing adoption and to create a more competitive manufacturing environment here in the U.S., I, I took the opportunity, and it's been a whirlwind since then, but it's been a fantastic opportunity to take some of the things that shaped me and that were such a big part of my career, such a big part of my experience, and work together as an ecosystem to address some of those challenges and do what is essentially a very audacious, or accomplish what is a very audacious set of objectives, and that is to kind of create a rising tide that floats all the boats.
0: What a great platform to be working from and not a moment too soon, given a lot of the macro factors, especially over the last 24 months, but clearly even the last six months, Mm -hmm. given what's going on in the Ukraine. Perhaps as a level set, because we really want to drill down some of those macro factors, but as a level set, how do you define smart manufacturing? And from that, I mean,
1: contrasting it to manufacturing, as most of our listeners will know. It's a great question. There are some interesting reactions when we talk about smart manufacturing, including the basic idea, well, if you're talking about smart manufacturing, does that mean that what we've been doing up till now has not been smart or is not capable of being smart? And and yet the question is a fairly loaded one. There's a trite answer that a lot of folks have been kind of discussing for a number of years, the idea of the right information to the right stakeholders at the right time in the right way. We have a very technical definition that's been accepted and adopted by a lot of official organizations here in the US that we've worked with collaboratively to define smart manufacturing. But I think it's probably most important to note that smart manufacturing is fundamentally that set of initiatives in your organization that will bring about the transformation, the digitization of your organization, both culturally and technically to leverage information more effectively coming from your real-time operations to enable the people and the systems to make better decisions and to create a more competitive manufacturing environment. So that's a bit of a brief answer, but I think it's important to recognize that there is, as much as we enjoy creating definitions and as much as we enjoy talking about the sort of theoretical definitions of things, it's important to recognize that smart manufacturing, like Industry 4.0, and even digital transformation in manufacturing, is, and rightfully so, it's a moniker, it's a strategic initiative that includes and drives the important transformation of manufacturing operations for the business.
0: I especially appreciate the fact that when you mentioned digitalization, you listed culturally and technically in terms of the potential opportunities and challenges there, and especially coming from your own technology background, I think it's important to understand that any change, whether it's digitally driven or otherwise, usually involves leading with culture and the cultural change that you want to create. And so I think it's great that you guys as an organization are advocating this. Perhaps as another level set, what is the role of Sesame then in advocating
1: smart manufacturing in the US? I'll respond to that in a moment, but I would like to comment briefly on your previous observation. Having worked for Rockwell and GE and the software startup called Active Plant, it's interesting to note that these organizations most technology providers vendors in this space uh, sell technology and yet the notion of cultural transformation is at least as important if not more important than the technologies that we provide and we would all pay lip service to that as vendors creating technologies and bringing them and seeing them deployed in the marketplace but at the end of the day we sold technology, we sold products. And so I do think, Ken, that that is one of the major challenges and disconnects. There are The implementation of these systems drives change management activities and the best implementation organizations take that into account. But the idea of cultural transformation is such a challenge and I think is one of the core reasons for the, I'll say, the lagging of or the lack of velocity in the adoption of smart manufacturing systems and capabilities here in the US and in other parts of the world as well. And fundamentally, one of three core pillars that SESME is investing in and driving transformation around. And that takes me to your direct question in terms of our role. We have a funding from and a mandate from the federal government to Transform the way smart manufacturing is done here in the US, and ultimately with the goal of creating a more competitive manufacturing environment here. Our funding agency is the Department of Energy, which ultimately allows us to shape our investments and our strategies in the context of energy productivity or manufacturing productivity more general. I hasten to say, though, that it's not just about energy, it's not just about energy productivity as a goal. The fact that we can identify any reduction in waste any improvement in performance at the plant in the enterprise and the supply chain in the context of energy productivity is important for us and so the recognition is there that we are completely horizontal in terms of all manufacturing across all industry types from discrete through hybrid through continuous process and and probably most importantly that we're significantly focused on ensuring that we're not just working on strategies and investments for large enterprises, and that we are doing what we're doing for large enterprises in ways that will reduce the barrier of entry for small and mid sized manufacturers as well. And so, in terms of our role in this ecosystem, we're convening as a private public partnership, we're convening the best thinkers, the best individuals, the best organizations that are interested in joining us to advocate for. A more competitive manufacturing environment. We have identified five key stakeholder groups, starting with the manufacturers themselves. In no particular order of solve after that, the machine builders, the technology providers, the systems integrators or implementers of these capabilities, and of course, academia and a host of not-for-profits and associations that are part of this. And we are very clear that it's an ecosystem approach to solve ecosystem challenges So we're very explicit in engaging all of them and ensuring that each of them is represented here at SESME, each of them is part of the strategy development, each of them are represented on our board of directors here, and each of them have to see a better future through the transformation that we're driving or we're not going to engage them in this transformative set of initiatives. And as you know, yourself, Ken, coming from this ecosystem, there's a need for transformation, but manufacturing is not a bleeding edge sort of environment. This takes time. This takes significant effort. And the opportunity to do so will only be realized if we can actually see a better future, a better set of business models for each of these individual stakeholder groups. And that's our goal here at Sesame. Mm. It's uh, certainly high ideals in the way you're approaching it from
0: an ecosystem perspective, full value chain, etc. Again, I kind of come back to this thought that the timing of this is pretty interesting given the macro factors now that may force progress in this space right think of uh, what's happening with regard to europe and energy sovereignty now right or food security right and so one of those macro factors that was pretty interesting sitting through a panel discussion at the world economic forum last week blake moret who of course ceo of, of rockwell and your former leader used the term shoring in reference to a discussion on resilience as one of the key global trends But to what extent are you seeing this same trend in terms of a macro factor driving manufacturing proficiency in the US?
1: Yeah, I watched that as well, Ken. and, And I thought that that was a particularly thoughtful and appropriate way to frame up this conversation. And it's a complex one, and I think it's one that is clearly nascent, but I think his frame of reference is spot on and very consistent with what we're beginning to see. At the beginning of the pandemic in the spring of 2020, We reached out to a handful of some of the most impacted organizations in our membership here, and we formed a supply chain subcommittee consisting of General Mills, Procter & Gamble, Johnson & Johnson, Raytheon, Honeywell, and ConAgra to talk about the challenges that they're facing and develop any short-term responses where we could, but more focused on the midterm in terms of taking what we had learned and observed in the midst of this tremendous disruption, and work on and focus on those things that ultimately would allow us to respond more effectively next time, not just in the face of the pandemic, but in the face of any type of future disruption. And so as we've observed what's happened in the year and a half, two years since we formed that subcommittee, I would say that, that Blake's notion of geographic resilience or shoring in operations is really the best way to frame that Set of initiatives. Historically, as you know, we've had several decades of enormous geopolitical peace, and we've been able to form our supply chains based on a long term cost trend, meaning price and cost has been probably the major driver for how we set up our global supply chains. And based on what I'm observing and based on what Blake described as well, that cost is no longer the number one, or or certainly by no means the only consideration. The idea that we have resilience and that the idea that we have other important inputs in terms of driving our strategies for supply chain and the cost of energy being one of those. The assumption by most that our supply chains will become more regional is certainly there and certainly real, but I think the the notion of geographic resilience is probably the most profound way to describe that. So certainly, as i said up front, can still a nascent initiative or a nascent set of ideas, but this is where all the big manufacturers that we're working with are trending. It Was a clear message coming out of the World Economic Forum last week. Some called it reshoring, some called it smart shoring, but
0: ultimately, I think Blake did right by calling it simply shoring, and it does come down very much to, as you say, geographic resilience. One other factor that got listed last is, of course, the labor shortage. And to what extent are you seeing this as a key challenge in shoring decisions, especially, I guess, against the backdrop in the
1: U.S. of the so-called Great Resignation? Well, I don't know that I have a good answer for you there, Ken. I think the assumption is that we'll be able to address the labor shortages we see in our own nation, that as much as that trend is only going to become more significant, the opportunity there and the optimism is there that we will be able to upskill and create a more upskilled and productive labor force here in the US. But that said, I think there are so many moving parts right now that I think the manufacturers, including the ones that I listed, are very much focused on how they can improve the ability for their manufacturing operations to engage in a more collaborative way with their suppliers and understand where the disruptions and where the next set of challenges will be coming from in a more proactive way. Predictive is probably where they would want to be, but certainly still working on some of the more real-time aspects of their supply chain. In fact, Ken, that's where we began focusing as SESME on working on addressing some significant Communications gaps between the suppliers and the manufacturers themselves. There's been such a challenge for these manufacturers to deal with the disruption in their supply network, whether it's dramatic growth in demand or dramatic reduction in demand. Both of them represent huge challenges for their suppliers. And as we sat there in the very beginning of this pandemic, looking at their manufacturing operation, looking at their responses, We realized across the board, with no exception, these great, in most cases, highly mature manufacturing organizations, with all of the tools, with all of the investments that they'd made, were still struggling to understand what their supply chain was struggling with, where their suppliers were going to actually meet demand or not meet demand. They were looking at faxes and emails and phone calls and a lot of elbow grease and Excel spreadsheets, not the sophisticated tools and control systems and software that they had invested in to help with these types of disruptions. Sure, it was an unprecedented disruption, but the tools and the investments that they'd made did not serve them. And so this notion that we need a more effective, real-time way for suppliers and manufacturers to engage with one another, for suppliers and manufacturers to bidirectionally share information that would help them in using mechanisms that didn't require human beings to be in the middle of that is an absolutely vital aspect. So from where we stand, getting back to your question, the idea that technology in more thoughtful ways can help in automation and standards for how this information exchange can happen in a more real time and a bilateral way are absolutely key so that the workers that we have at our disposal today will be more able to focus on solving problems and more part of the sort of value creation value chain and less focused on the sort of drudgery of, of communicating and, and working on non-value added aspects on the shop floor. So that's a bit of a long winded response, but I do think that it's gonna be absolutely key to enable manufacturing operations across the supply chain which with much more effective ways of and standardized ways of exchanging information thus enabling the workforce to focus in a more effective way on adding value and not on non-value-added labor
0: we think of that often as the augmented worker and really full data transparency which brings up another in terms of macro factors we forget with all the disruption and the challenges that there are also positive aspects that were initially driving a lot of this digitalization. That's really primarily around ESG or environmental, social and governance factors. The EU, interestingly enough, have taken to calling migrating from Industry 4.0, which is really that idea of the productivity aspect to Industry 5.0, which complements the productivity with effectively what they call people and planet. And it's interesting because you were starting to see that now, that kind of ESG factor really playing a lot more with decisions that are being made. To what degree are you seeing ESG factors also driving some of the smart manufacturing
1: transformation? Yeah, I'll, I'll say tongue-in-cheek that most of the industry is still firmly parked in the third industrial revolution, but I, <laughs> well said. I, but I absolutely agree with this notion that actually it's, Japan is very much, and other Asian regions are, Referring to this as well as the Industry 5.0 initiative. And so, from our standpoint, we just did a recent survey with many of our members, particularly the large Fortune 500 organizations on carbon emissions monitoring and reporting and other sort of sustainable manufacturing initiatives in the context of smart manufacturing. And, and we learned that ESG was a, by far the single biggest factor driving those investments. And again, this too is a very nascent set of factors and initiatives. But it's fascinating from our standpoint to see how, for the first time, the board of directors and senior leadership of these large organizations are interested in seeing digitization support these important issues like sustainable manufacturing, that the idea that what is a very kind of young and I'll say at this point, not yet very sophisticated set of reporting and measurement capabilities in the realm of sustainable manufacturing, in the realm of energy management, in the realm of carbon emissions and reporting, monitoring and reporting, is now being very rapidly transformed into a digital initiative. The idea that we, again, enable these organizations to drive automation, create automation and drive digitization for these. And this is where organizations like ours have a huge opportunity to help either advocate for standards or drive de facto standards for how some of these information systems and digitization capabilities are brought to bear on these topics the where there are standards they don't really support effective manufacturing operations reporting but there are emerging what i would call de facto standards for how that information can be structured aggregated federated and moved up into the supply chain for manufacturers this is a huge and complex issue but It's been exciting and encouraging for us to see these important issues addressed by and supported from a very significant top-down set of initiatives like ESG. This is one of the first times in my career where I've seen plant floor operations significantly impacted by this type of, call it grand societal factors, investing in plant floor operations. Yeah, I'm just,
0: as we're recording this, it's the uh, Hanover Mess Week in in uh, Europe, and they're digitally transmitting a lot of the sessions. And so there was one particularly talking about ESG, and one of the speakers, a uh, government affairs person, basically said that ESG is driving to reduce the gap between IT and OT like no other wave that she is And so it's pretty interesting if you think about these external factors between this and some of the others that we've mentioned as well, may drive more digital, if you will, acceptance, i.e. There was a running meme at the time, I think, when COVID first came out about the checkbox who's driving digital transformation in your organization. It said, check one CDO, CEO, whatever. And the last one, which was checked, was COVID. And, And it was absolutely true, right? It drove much more, especially with respect to office productivity, and remote working, more so than anything else. And now we have energy, food, sustainability, ESG, and other factors. So again, I keep coming back to the same comment. You're well-placed, being in the right place at the right time to help drive this with respect to the U.S. Let me ask, when you've been at this intersection of IT and OT for quite a while, what are some of the key trends and technologies that you're following personally that
1: you think support smart manufacturing? Yeah, it's a fascinating question. In fact, you alluded at the beginning of our discussion here to one of your associates, Hans, that's going to be with us here in Pittsburgh next week, at least as we're recording this, to facilitate a really, really important panel discussion on interoperability. And obviously that's a broad term, can be interpreted in various ways for different parts of the organization. But interoperability from our perspective is at the pinnacle of what we call the seven first principles of smart manufacturing. And interoperability, I think, is the antithesis of where we landed with the third industrial revolution, which of necessity resulted in virtually every technology provider and every application developer creating their own data silo, their own closed system and the exchange of information from that system or from those systems with other systems has represented an enormous challenge for manufacturers, right? The lack of interoperability, the cost complexity, the brittleness of those systems in supporting manufacturing operations. And so I think the most, I'll say, enlightened vendors, the most enlightened organizations are recognizing and moving away from the historic behaviors and thinking uh, around more proprietary systems and approaches and architectures, stovepiped architectures, and moving towards architectures and systems that are interoperable. And so while we're a long ways from being there, the work we're doing here at Sesmi is if there's one foundational accelerator for the adoption of smart manufacturing and what we call the democratization of smart manufacturing, We believe it's this idea of interoperability. We believe that single-handedly will drive the cost of acquiring and implementing and sustaining smart manufacturing systems by 50%, literally cutting that in half. And so as we're working with global entities, our counterparts in Germany, for example, the Platform Industry 4.0 organization, the world's largest manufacturing association called VDMA, also headquartered out of Europe, We're working with our counterpart in Japan, which is the Robot Revolution and Industrial IoT Initiative. All of us are aggressively focused on helping this ecosystem find a way to make more money outside of their proprietary, historic proprietary way of doing things and moving into architectures and thinking and systems approaches that are interoperable. And so if there's a trend It's certainly a trend that we're investing in and trying to accelerate. I think that is the single most important trend that we're seeing. Certainly the the manufacturers themselves would underscore that significantly. They're looking at what they have to sustain today in terms of their installed base, in terms of the cost of sustaining 30 or 40 years of manufacturing IT systems. It's that legacy that is actually preventing them from adopting more innovative, technologies, and solutions at scale than any other single issue. So I think that's, if I can focus on one thing as I look at trends, I think about the reality, Ken, that after 10 years of talking about Industry 4.0, we really have not seen significant adoption of Industry 4.0 ideas. We've been more aggressively continuing to promote Industry 3.0 ideas and methodologies and approaches with sort of the lipstick of 4.0 or the veneer of 4.0 tied to them and so we're excited about the transition the transformation of slow but rapidly accelerating transformation of an ecosystem that understands that propagating the legacy way of doing things is no longer acceptable that we have to change our approach that new technology like cloud and iot and ai machine learning augmented reality is a great set of capabilities to bring to the marketplace, but unless we're architecting solutions with some of these new approaches and some of these architectures with interoperability at the center of them, we're not going to see that velocity of adoption that we desperately need here in this country.
0: I odd your global perspective. It would be ironic if we had this conversation of interoperability of systems when your initiative itself wasn't interoperable with so many of the allies, if you will, in the space. So in some sense, you are the interoperability of interoperability uh, from an initiative perspective. So many times an external influence will be the big disruptor, if you will, to bring this forward. Think what Tesla has done for automobiles or SpaceX now for uh, space travel. So we always have this internal theme we call the Elonification or the Elon factor. And I'm curious if conjecture here clearly, but if Elon Musk were to put his focus for his next big transformation on industrial automation, what do you think he would do? That's a great
1: thought exercise to go through. And I think it actually goes back, my response will uh, be a little bit of what I just discussed a moment ago. I think Elon would focus on driving interoperability and openness and using a historically proprietary ecosystem or driving a historically closed ecosystem to enable collaboration, to drive interoperability, to get away from closed systems towards open systems, and to crowdsource, allow this ecosystem to crowdsource around solving problems so that not every vendor or technology provider has to solve the same set of OT problems. 20 to 25 years ago, the IT system got together and began working on plug and play. Well, that's why we have the level of interoperability. One of the reasons we have interoperability at the device level for for the IT ecosystem. And I think this Elonification, as you alluded to, would have a huge sort of catalytic effect to accelerate largely closed thinking, closed networks, proprietary networks and stovepipe architectures and accelerating the adoption of a way of thinking that moves away from them. Because I think that's been, as I've seen and been around, machine builders, systems integrators, vendors that are supporting Tesla in their manufacturing operations, to the extent that they could. They've been actually working on that mindset. They've been working on those capabilities, but they're not an ecosystem and they can't unto themselves, so to speak. And so they can't address it as an ecosystem. They're addressing it as a manufacturer and their ecosystem specifically. So, I'd be excited to see the accelerated catalytic effect of having somebody like Elon Musk move into the space and say, hey, listen, that old Industry 3.0 approach of stovepiped architectures and proprietary closed systems ain't going to cut it any longer. We're going to work together to solve problems. And along with that comes the reduction of complexity, the reduction of cost, the, the improvement sustainability and sustainability, and the enormous impact that would have in the small and mid-sized manufacturing ecosystem, because fundamentally, Ken, in my entire career working for a startup in these two big organizations, I have never sold to a small and mid-sized manufacturer in my life. Everyone is focused on selling to large organizations that have multi-site rollout prospects on their horizon, and even if the small and mid-sized folks could afford what they have or what we had to sell. But if we can reduce cost and complexity for the big guys, the small guys are gonna see the barrier of entry reach a level where they can, in many ways, in many cases for the first time, actually get into this digitization world and improve their operations, their cost of goods, cost of manufacturing operations as well, which is a huge, huge factor for all of us. Well said, and I do appreciate so much the
0: ecosystem factor that you, theme that you've been talking about. In closing, what are you reading or watching
1: these days? Well, that's a great question. I don't have much time to read or watch much these days. I just began reading a great book by one of our partners here at Sesmi called Thorsten Woost, a book that he co-authored with a few others called Digital Supply Networks. This notion of shoring and this notion of changing the transformation of our supply networks here in this country and around the world, I believe is the single most impactful thing that is an ecosystem we ought to be focused on. And that's why from our standpoint here, it says me as well, the principles of interoperability at the plant, at the enterprise need to be as impactful and as relevant to the supply network transformation efforts as well. So so I've been sort of burying myself in looking at the most thoughtful and temporary writing on supply chain management and digital supply networks as I can in, in an effort to Sort of understand how we can take these plant and enterprise operations concepts and apply them in the supply chain because there's so much opportunity and so much disruption that I think is both necessary and aggressively coming in the days to come. Absolutely. If
0: there hadn't been any other theme in this, again, right place, right time, and certainly the right initiatives right now. So John, thank you for sharing this time and insights with us today.
1: Ken, it's been an honor to talk to you. These are important ideas. These are times of great disruption times of great opportunity. And it's an honor to be in the middle of all of that with great organizations like yours, Ken, and looking forward to working with your team next week at the Smart Manufacturing Experience as well. It's a great time and a great place to be working together.
0: As well. Yeah. Thank you so much for the invitation. We are absolutely honored to participate in that. So this has been John Dyke, CEO of Sesame, the Smart Manufacturing Institute. Thank you for listening and please join us for the next episode of our Digital Thread podcast series. Thank you and have a great day. You've been listening to the Momented Digital Thread podcast series. We hope you've enjoyed the discussion. And as always, we welcome your comments and suggestions. Please check our website at one for archive versions of podcasts, as well as resources to help with your digital industry journey. Thank you for listening.